I'm reading today from Psalm 34, beginning with verse 3. Let us hear the word of God. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Well, most of us resist extravagance, don't we? Most of us take pride in being frugal and thoughtful and responsible people. When we hear the word extravagant, we think unnecessary or wasteful. And so when people offer small things like holding the door open for you, we're willing to accept that. But think how awkward you would feel if a stranger offered to push your shopping cart around for you at Kroger's and then pay your bill at a checkout. That would feel a little over the top, wouldn't it? I think if we went around the room today and asked, a lot of us would see God the same way. We would see God as a, as a frugal God. Is it easier for you to think of God as providing only the bare minimum? What if I challenged that today and, and told you that our God is an extravagant God, that our God is a God of abundance? And how over and over again in Scripture, from, from Genesis through Revelation, we have presented a God who provides for his people in abundance. Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 19, And my God will satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Psalm 104 declares, The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy work. In other words, fulfillment and satisfaction are built into the very basic structure of creation. That our, our God is not only creator, he is our satisfier. That we can live completed and not deprived. We can live praising and not complaining. Because God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. We have an extravagant and generous God. Indeed, it could all be summed up with Jesus' words stating why his came, his very mission. I came that you might have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Exactly. The disciples also struggled with this. We find a story in John chapter 12. It's Holy Week and Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. But he stops at Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, just a few miles outside of the city. And here lived Mary and Martha and Lazarus. As usual at this home, Martha's getting busy, getting dinner and everything ready while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, Martha has a serving heart. When there's something that needs to be done, she is the one who made sure that it happened. I love people like that. Because serving is a core value in the kingdom of God. And it's an important value here. In fact, it's one of our six habits. We talk a lot around here about, about finding your gifts and finding your talents and, and finding a place where you can invest them and serve others. But worship, delighting in God, loving God is even more important. And Mary has a worshiping heart and she shows us how. John says that she took a jar of nard and pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. And John tells his readers that it was 
pure nard, an expensive perfume worth a year's wages. Now, I did a little research, and I found that, that nard is from this flowering plant found only in the Himalayas. And so this isn't eau de juice found in Walmart for $15 a bottle. This is Chanel number no. 5 at $4,000 an ounce. This is the good stuff. Judas objected. In Mark and Matthew's version of the story, Judas is not singled out. It's all the disciples, and they're saying, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages. We could have sold it and, and gave it to the poor. And you would have expected Jesus to, to agree. Yeah, yeah, Mary, that was way over the top. What, what were you thinking? Well, he doesn't say that, does he? Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus commends her extravagance. Now, rarely if ever are, are we ever encouraged to be extravagant, but sometimes, folks, sometimes our common sense conflicts with the economy of God's kingdom. And what, while we may be taught to be frugal, what Mary models is extravagant worship, and Jesus commends her for it. We are in week six of our series called Wake Up. And we've been looking at 10 transformational stops on, on the way to holiness, on the way to spiritual maturity. And last week we looked at radical dependence on, on how we need to trust in the Lord. Today we look at stop number nine, enjoying a profound intimacy and love for God. See, this is the goal of the Christian life. We see it all the way back uh, to the beginning, to Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 2,000 years later, an expert in the Bible asked Jesus a question to try to trip him up. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around and asks him a question. Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Love God, love people. This is the core, uh, the heart of the teaching of Scripture. This is what it means to live a holy life. The psalmist put it this way, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. To love God is to delight in him. When was the last time you took some time to delight in the Lord? Now the Barna research says that um, only 0.05% of people, of Christians, reach stop number nine. Why is it? Why is it so hard for the people of God to delight in the Lord? I think one reason might be our busyness. God never created us to live the way we oftentimes choose to live. You see, the more hurried we feel, the more stress we have. The more stress we have, the, uh, the, the less we take care of ourselves. The less we take care of ourselves, the less joy that we have. 
For some of us, our schedules are so crammed full of activities that we have no time for God. But you see, like every relationship, if we don't spend time with our loved ones, our, our relationships will suffer, and that includes God. The way we use our time speaks, you see, of what we value. Now, God has an answer to our busyness, and it's called the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and so it's a really big deal. Um, in this command, what we discover is that God is, is clearly telling us that he expects us to use our time in such a way that he is our number one priority. That God expects us to set aside one day in seven for rest. In the creation narrative in Genesis 2, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Now, these words here imply that, that if God stopped working on the seventh day, so should we. I'm guessing that after creating the universe, after creating the cosmos, after creating billions and, and billions of stars, that God was ready for some downtime, you know. Whew, man, that was tiring. I've got to take a day of rest. But not really. God chose to rest, to set an example for us. And so it seems that God has, has built into the very fabric of, uh, of the universe this rhythm of, of work and rest and work and rest. And each of us, whether you know it or not, has a built-in need to observe this pattern. And when we don't, we go sour. Life goes sour. And not only in our lives, but also in our relationship with God. You see, the Sabbath wasn't just a day to rest. It was also a day to worship, a day to replenish the soul. The book of Leviticus calls it a holy convocation, meaning a time for God's people to gather together for worship. I mean, look at Jesus' life. You never see him in a hurry. You never see Jesus running to his next appointment. You never see Jesus saying, oh my gosh, I don't have time. Can you come back tomorrow? You see, working nonstop is a form of self-dependence. We talked last week about our need uh, to have a, a radical trust in God. And so what business reveals is a lack of trust in God to provide for what we need. We don't need to work seven days a week. It's counterproductive. We were not wor uh, wired that way. I mean, sure, work is a gift from God, but a lot of times it keeps us from having a life. I wonder sometimes if we don't allow our work to so consume our life that we have no time for what's really important for God, for family, and for ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, am I giving to my job that which I ought to give only to God? Am I, allowing, am I letting my relationship with God fade and filling that spot with activity and busyness? Are we slowing down long enough to hear God say, I want a relationship with you, not based upon what you do, but a relationship based upon who you are? Are we willing to slow down long enough to hear God say, you matter to me, I love you? And in that, discover that life is, is not just in your work, but it's a part of your call from God, one way of living your life in Christ. So is there room for rest? Don't worship your work. Worship God and trust him to take care of you. Delight, as the psalmist says, in the Lord. Now I think another reason why we struggle to, to delight in God is we have a misconception of God. 
You see, a lot of us, we see God as a, as a rule giver. We, we fear God. Now you're thinking, Pastor, doesn't, doesn't the Bible teach us to fear God? Yes, it does. But let me see if I can explain the difference. You see, a holy fear is a loving anxiety to please the one who, who loves you more than anyone else ever can love you. And although fearing God begins with a sense of fright before our holy God, it's not the same thing as fright before God. One writer put it this way. He said, to fear God is to stand in awe of God. To be afraid of God is to run away from God. You see the difference? They're close to one another, but they're different. And once a person moves from the fright of God to the fear of God, they can begin to understand the love of God and the humble gratitude to God that desires us, that he desires us to know. You see, if we put an emphasis upon obeying the laws of a frightening God, that produces this unhealthy uh, kind of fear that results in, in legalism. It results in, in a slavish fear of a punishing master. But that's not what it's about. Listen to Paul's words in, in Romans 5 of he, as he describes this. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry out, Abba, Father. So fearing God in the right way and loving God go hand in hand. They are a pair. Psalm 147 says it this way. It says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Fear and love. Gradually, the right kind of fear for God will drive out the fear of other things and other people. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear no one and nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Delight in the Lord. Now, if I can be honest... I'm not sure how well I do in this. The other day over lunch, I was talking to some of our other staff, and I was asking, I was, I was sharing with them, you know what, this is kind of hard for me to delight in the Lord. And I said, how about, how about you guys? How are you doing? They all said the same thing. We're, we're working on it. We're not there yet. So how do we move that direction? I think it begins by being intentional about spending time with God. You see, just like any relationship, you have to invest time into it. You need to have this ongoing conversation. And a big part of that is, is listening to God. He wants to speak to you. And I think praise and, and thanksgiving and gratitude are all a big part of it. Uh, we see this in King David. He is, after all, the, the one who wrote Psalm, uh, Psalm 37. And he told us to delight in the Lord. One of my favorite stories of David is found in, in 2 Samuel. Uh, David is now king over Israel. And in chapter 6, David is, is moving the Ark of the Covenant back to his new capital of Jerusalem. You see, during Saul's wars with the Philistines, it had been taken as a prize of war, but now it's being returned. And the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred and, and holy object in Jewish temple worship. And David is, is leading the procession. 
A big crowd has gathered and, and there are shouting and trumpets playing and, and David dances his way up the procession with, the Bible says, with all of his might. Now you might expect him to, to wear his royal robes and, and to ride his stallion in a dignified and, and, and stately manner, but the Bible tells us not only did he not have his royal robes on, he really doesn't have much at all on. <laughs> He's like pretty well naked. And they're offering burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and, and David is passing out trees to everybody. It turns into this big party. When the celebration is over, he returns to the palace. And his wife had watched the whole thing from a window in the palace high above the parade route. But what David has done has brought immense embarrassment and shame to her. And when David arrives back at the palace, she explodes at him. She says, how vulgar. What an emotional display of poor taste. And David responds, but it was the Lord who made me king, and I will make merry before the Lord. You see, what David understood, and what you and I need to recover, is that the spiritual life includes passionately loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, for some of us men, well, for a lot of us, let's be honest, that feels a little awkward. I mean, a lot of times, I am kind of uncomfortable expressing a lot of emotion in church. I mean, when was the last time you saw some dude dancing down the aisle here? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, look at David. He has no reservation. He is a warrior king. He is as comfortable leading troops in the battle as he is worshiping in church. I mean, imagine if, if I never told my wife that I loved her. Hey, honey, I, I told you I loved you on the day that we got married and everything ever changes. I'll let you know. I mean, imagine a marriage without passion. Sure, they exist, but is that really what what we're looking for. But read the Psalms and you'll see plenty of passion and emotion. In fact, King David wrote a lot of them. Now, I'm not sure if he wrote Psalm 150, but it, it might have been one of his. And the Psalm encourages you and I to, to praise God with trumpet, to praise Him with tambourine, to praise Him with dance and with cymbals. And he goes on, he says, I love thee, Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. You see, David was willing to worship God with abandon. He was always vulnerable and honest and authentic before the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And as we do that, we'll begin to discover some amazing gifts. We'll find ourselves at, at peace with God. John Wesley called it, he said, he said, we'll have tranquility of spirit. We'll experience this ongoing conversation with God, not just a couple times a day, not just when we're saying grace over mealtime or our morning or evening prayer. It'll be this ongoing conversation with our Heavenly Father. You'll begin to sense His guidance. Anxiety and, and stress will begin to subside because you know that your future is secure. 
death will not be as, as frightening to you as it once was because you know that you're a child of God and you'll again discover the presence of joy. And you'll discover the truth of the second half of the psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord and listen, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Would God really do that? I believe he will, and here's why. As you desire more and more of God, you desire less and less of the old things that you once wanted. God's will, God's desire becomes your one and only desire. You begin to have the mind of Christ that, that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There'll be this union between you and the Heavenly Father. You'll begin to know God's will and, and you'll enjoy doing God's will. And you won't give God some of your time anymore because now your whole life belongs to him. And we'll be awakened, finally, to delight in God for the sheer delight of who he is. Was this possible? I'd like you to listen to the testimony of a couple women in our church. Let's watch this video. The grace and mercy that I feel is tremendous from the first half to the second half. Um, I have a better understanding of being a child of God and what that means and, and God is not just God the Father, but God my Father, my spiritual Father. It's not an overnight process, it is a journey and it's not a, a linear journey, it's not where you check off a list, but you do find yourself going deeper with God and becoming more aware of his presence in your life and in day-to-day -day life, in, in, in mundane things and in ordinary life, you realize he's there and you see him all around you. And you come to a place, I would say a place of abundance where he's, he's been there for you during hard times and you come to a trust and a deeper awareness of his love. My delight in God is spending time with Him, like a father-daughter day, being in scripture, being in prayer, being with somebody that wants to listen to me, that cares about everything that I'm going through. I feel God's delight, and um, even, even when I make a mistake, I feel like He's not there to judge, to condemn, but that He, he delights in me, and that gives me freedom to come to be myself. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, if we're honest, we don't always know this experience the psalmist is describing, but we want to. So would you change the nature and the character of our relationship with you so that we can learn to live in this place of delighting in you. Lead us in this way. God, we know that you are good, but we want more. We want to taste and see that you are good. We want to enjoy your goodness. Hear this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.